0: Welcome to Ability Stories Podcast, where we discuss the successes, challenges, and stories of people with disabilities. I'm your host, Tara Briggs. To contact me, please send an email to abilitystories at gmail.com. Utah, and you're working here at the Division, the Center for the Blind, mm-hmm. and I'm assuming you're obviously still involved with the NFB. Yeah. Um, so talk to me about running for president, and what made you decide to do that?
1: Well, I when I got here, I got involved in the local chapter. A guy named Nick Roth, who was also an employee here, was a chapter president at the time, and he, he and I became good friends, and we both saw that there were things about the NFB of Utah that we liked, um, we definitely liked the philosophy. We liked some of the people that we were going. There were also things that we thought could be different and better. Um, when you're a person who has confidence, and some people might call it arrogance and cocky and things. I, I don't, I don't think I'm arrogant, but I might be a little. Um, but when you're when you look at things and you go, I could do that, or I have a better idea of how that could go. And when you mention those ideas to people above you and they either A, do nothing with it, or B, kind of demean you for coming to them with that, that idea, then you start to go, well, I'm going to wait for my chance. <laughs> when I get that chance, I'm going to take it and then I'm going to do it the way I want to do it. And uh, I think that's kind of where I, I was when my chance to run for president of the NFB of Utah in 2012 came. Um, Ron was, Ron Gardner was the president at the time. He was doing a, a good job, and um, he had done a lot of good things for the NFB of Utah. But there were also some, some bridges that had been burned and needed to figure out how to repair. And, uh, but Ron had to do what he had to do, and, and he... He had good reasons so I, I don't fault him at all for the way he went about it i just think i could do it a little differently and i i feel like if i'm going to do something i'm going to do it all the way and i i want to lead um but i can also get behind a really good leader if i think we're, we're both kind of going in the right direction so that's why i never challenged ron for his presidency i, I thought ron was doing a good job um, and I thought for the most part we were going in the same direction. Just there were some little things that I thought could be different. Sure. Um, so yeah. So that's when I got to run in 2012, and and I, I I did it and got as president. And I have found out that there are some things Ron was right about, and uh, and and I, I understand now why he did the things the way he did. But then I also think I've done an okay job in trying to kind of bond with, with members more and, and bring more of the, the Utah thing, um, as our own thing, rather than just totally worried about national all the time.
0: So, so what have you liked about being present?
1: I love the fact that, um, that I get phone calls from people and they'll just want to chat. Mm. And, uh, I, I, like that a lot. It's, it's neat. Um, and I like the fact that when I can get them to think about coming to a meeting and coming to be a part of a chapter and it sticks and and they really give it a chance and then they get involved. Um, That's neat. I I love having a collective action and I like seeing groups of of blind people together, seeing that they can do something and then they get to do it and they, and they accomplish it. So yeah, those are the things I like being president.
0: What have you disliked about it?
1: (sighs) Um, Being (laughs) in this job um, working for the state, sometimes I have to uh, squash an opinion that I really want to let fly, and um, mainly because I, I don't want to be fired, and I, I have that, I've had that, that belief system sometimes, and I have that in me. I can let that opinion fly, but I know if I do, it, it could have severe consequences, not just for me, but for even people around me, and so... That's that's the hardest part about being president. So
0: maybe having to be more diplomatic than you want.
1: I'm way more diplomatic than I would <laughs> like to be. Yeah.
0: Can you give examples, or do you not want to give examples? <laughs> oh, you sure. don't have to.
1: <laughs> um, see, this was the difference. Ron didn't have to be diplomatic. And that's what was neat. And I, I thought he needed to be more diplomatic Mm -hmm. and maybe he did in some point, maybe he'd tell you the same thing. He, that there were some instances he could be diplomatic, but now I understand why he was not always diplomatic and why he would sometimes really lash out at something. Mm -hmm. Um, I, because I, I have to be diplomatic all the time. Um, and so even I'll give you an example. We had a meeting on, um, Wednesday and, uh, it was an advisory council meeting, and they, they had a public comment time. Well, if I would have, if I was on the phone listening at that meeting, if I would have spoken up during the public comment, even though I'm an employee, I could have said something that might have hurt not only my standing but other employees' standings. And so I felt like mm. the members that I have around me that were non-employees I thought they did a fine job speaking up for what they believed in and what we all believe in. And I felt like, you know, Everett, you don't have to say it again just because you're a president. They've said it. So let them speak. And, and let's hope that, that it means something. So I think that, that's kind of a time sure. when I had to be more diplomatic.
0: Sure. So um, I wanted to ask you about descriptive video okay. because you've been really involved in that in the state. And here's my perception of the way descriptive video has gone down in Utah and you can correct me. Okay. A few several years ago there was there were quite a few theaters with descriptive video. I remember going and seeing one of the like Star Wars episode one through three, I can't remember which one. Mm-hmm. And afterwards my family was like, What'd you think? And I was like, Well, I I loved it, but I'm not sure that I'm the best person to ask for an opinion because I actually knew what was going on and so I was just in heaven, <laughs> you know? Um, and then as technology changed and things became more digital, there just seemed to be less and less access to descriptive video, except this one, in the theaters, except this one movie theater, kind of a little bit in the boonies and they still kept a theater with the old film so they could show descriptive video for blind people. Is that,
1: that's how it was going. Yeah. Because and,
0: and my impression was that was pretty much due to you. Oh. don't be humble I mean, I mean like you and a couple other folks but you and a couple of the people were like the people that made that happen
1: we did um dave Sarrell was helpful in that um i it's because we had descriptive audio in texas where i came from mm. and i call it descriptive audio now rather than descriptive video because video is kind of old and it, it's really the audio con that we need descriptive like what's going on when when there's no dialogue between so um that, we had it in Texas. My movie theater, or I mean, my, my blockbuster store had um, a video section that was all descriptive uh, video at the time. So that was kind of fun because, you know, I had, um, I had actual movies that we had found. And um, But yeah, and when everything did started going digital, it, it went away. Um, and it was only the older movie theaters that still showed the real-to-real type um, movies that still had that descriptive video content. Um, I have to give a great deal of credit to the American Council of the Blind, and this has been something that they have uh fought for a very long time and the The National Federation of the Blind, while they believe in descriptive audio and why and and they believe it's important, their focus has been more on what they think is employment and um and getting um, things changed um, so people can have better jobs and better opportunities. What I think both organizations could, could come to understand is you need both. You, you need, we, the, the way blind people get opportunity in my mind is we have to understand and know what's going on in the world. Um, part of uh, some of the great talks by James Onvig and uh, Dr. Kenneth Jernigan from the NFB One of the things they talk about is blind people have to learn how to blend in. We're always going to be looked at, but we have to find ways to blend in. Well, one of the ways we can do that is through entertainment because the pop culture is so popular and so important uh, um, in the world today, that if we can find ways to, to understand what's going on in movies and television and things like that, we have in-roads where we can have conversations with people and we can break down those barriers. So that's why I think Descriptive Audio is so important. And We, we worked with Megaplex Theaters here, um, who's had the digital. We worked with, It cost them $15,000 to make one theater accessible. So it was very expensive, and they're a mom-and-pop movie theater chain here, um, and they were the biggest outfit in town. Not, none of the other movie theaters chains had really um, cornered the Utah market, so we knew we had to go through them, and we just kept meeting with them and meeting with them, and, and they they listened to us, and they liked what we said. And so they went ahead and, and made the Gateway Theater downtown um, with the one theater accessible, um,
0: yeah, I remember, and mm-hmm. and and you'd be on the email list, and they'd tell you what was playing. Yep. It was great.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and so we just kept pushing that, and and then um, now that um, they got it in all of their theaters, um, every single one of the theaters have it now. So I, I'm really thankful to Megaplex theaters. I'm still not done with them um, because they don't have it in like the Gateway has two um, theater or two of the actual. Uh, rooms that have movies in them, they're the only two with accessibility, but the other eight don't. And my goal with them now is why can't they all have descriptive audio? Because Cinemark, thanks to the American Council of the Blind again, um, on a national level they really pushed Cinemark to make every one of their theaters in every single city accessible and they've done it. So now you can go to a Cinemark theater and it does not matter what you're there to see, you're going to see it in descriptive audio. Well, and there
0: were there were there were regulations that the, the Department of Justice worked on passing in 2012.
1: It is um, um the it it was the 21st century um, CVAA Act. I can't remember what this the acronym stands for. But um, the ACB, the AFB, the deaf and hard of hearing, the NFB signed on to that bill in total support. Um, all of those groups all pushed together to get that bill passed. Um, it, it passed both the legislature, um, the Senate, and the House during a lame duck Congress. It was uh, um, the. The you know the year Obama was running again for his second term, so that you know that session right before is considered kind of a lame duck, and yet they passed that legislation, and he signed it into law, which was really cool. Um, he also signed the Pedestrian Enhancement Safety Act at the same time, so blind people got two huge laws passed at the same time for things that were extremely important to them.
0: So, in the I mean, the NFB was involved in some controversial. Stuff with descriptive video as far as like the whole blind community went because um when the you know they, they well, the well the resolution that was passed in ninety six mm-hmm. said um I'm just paraphrasing it but you know be it resolved that this organization support um, voluntary use of descriptive like television um programming, but they oppose um it being mandated mm-hmm so, I don't know, where do you stand on that? Because you could argue a couple of things. One, first of all, if deaf people value closed captioning and think it should be mandated, shouldn't descriptive video, it doesn't descriptive video, you know, if you're watching Star Wars or Lord of the Rings, doesn't descriptive video fulfill the same purpose to the blind as closed captioning does to the deaf?
1: I think in the 90s, it was a really it was a really tough time for um, the NFB and, and, and blind organizations in general because... Descriptive audio was brand new. Where closed captioning had been around even since the 70s. So the deaf community had had a long time to to really adapt to closed captioning. Where descriptive audio was so new. And so you had a lot of blind people that, wait, we've been enjoying movies and enjoying things the way we've always enjoyed it. Why does it have to be this different? And I, I have an imagination and I can imagine from listening to the dialogue between the actors what's going on around them. And I can create that imagination in my head. And I, I, so I think that's a valid argument at the time. I just don't think they understood what doors to the imagination it could open up if you really do describe everything. And I think they do now. And I, I think that's. So just, do you
0: think the, do you think going to be. It seems like they've sort of changed their stance on it. They really have, they really have okay. yes.
1: They really have. Um, you, we, we had resolutions that were passed um, in both 2011 and 2012 that were um, saying we support the 21st century CBAA Act. Um, we were uh, very much in favor of seeing the, the, the FCC put regulations on descriptive audio and, and making that um, the way a necessary thing And make, when that law got passed. So yeah, I think that's definitely passed. And I think it's just because the, the newness is now away from it and now people have under, are understanding how important it is and how it allows us to to really blend into society more
0: well and movies are more visual
1: they are i
0: mean it's just they're because they can do so much more with all the uh, computers and stuff you yep. know so i I remember watching. You have movies
1: lost. that don't even have
0: dialogue in them, like yeah. the Wally. You remember? <laughs> right, yeah, <so>. right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's been um, it's been it's been absolutely amazing, but to be able to go to a movie and know what's going on. My husband has loved it because I actually want to go to movies on date nights. Yeah, it was like you know, five six years ago, I'd have been like, oh, just go with someone else. <laughs> Anything that's sleeping <laughs> through this visual movie, I can't follow. Yeah. Um, what about the, um, the talk to me about the Pedestrian Safety Act, because the NFB's also been a little bit controversial with, like, beeping signals and...
1: So, yeah, it's interesting. The things that the NFB says they're, con- that, that people have said they're controversial about, it's just in the way it was done. Um, there was never a resolution that said the NFB is against traffic audible signals. Mm-hmm. And there was never anything that passed. Um, in fact... The, the, what the NFP was really frustrated by was that cities and and, and local uh, municipalities were coming together and saying, we think these signals are good for blind people. But they weren't asking blind people, do you think <laughs> this these are helpful as a blind person? And do you think this is the right sound to use? Um, I, I've been downtown... Uh, well, not let's not say downtown as much. I have been in an area where a neighborhood, and I have heard the same chirping bird that you hear when uh, when you cross the streets. I have heard the same live bird making the same live sound. <laughs> it
0: must have been like a mockingbird or something. <laughs> yeah, and
1: so it, it 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 can be confusing to a person. So I, I think there that that's. The NFB wanted municipalities and cities to engage blind people. Do you think this would work or how would you want this done for you? Mm -hmm. You would would never – the the, the cities don't – when they build streets, they they ask drivers, what do you think would be good about this street when they fix potholes? It's because drivers are telling them there's a bad pothole there and that needs to be fixed. But they don't listen to blind people. And that's why the NFB was so controversial about that. That's what they were standing up against. It wasn't against the actual helpful signals. It was just in the way it was being done. So um, the NFB has supported that. And then the Pedestrian Enhancement Safety Act came out because um, you had the uh, silent cars or quiet cars, as they're referred to a lot, were becoming more popular. Things like the Toyota Prius and other Honda hybrids. And so when they're going under 25 miles an hour, they do not make a sound. Um, they, they are running on th- off their electrical part of their engine and it is extremely quiet and you cannot hear it. Um, if you're standing there, I know this firsthand cause I was hit by one. <laughs> and so, um, you, you, I, I was crossing the street and he was making a left-hand turn. He was going under 20 miles an hour. He was in an older model Toyota Prius, which is funny to say older model Toyota Prius. They've only been around like 10 years, but, um, he he was um, he was making a left-hand turn. He was not paying attention. And I had I had the right of way, and I was crossing the street, and I smashed into the front of his car. And he um, cracked my kneecap and ran over my foot and broke my foot. Yeah, and I ne- I, I firmly believe that if I would have heard that car, I probably wouldn't have got as hurt. I probably would have leaped backwards. Maybe a little me would have gotten nicked, but it wouldn't have been as bad as it was. So. Mm-hmm. So that's what yeah. the Pedestrian Enhancement Safety Act um, addressed. Now, it has taken way longer, and it's all because of money and regulations and, and the annoyance of trying to get bureaucracy passed.
0: So did it say, it said what? It, said, we it, it basically cars required
1: and... cars to emit a sound when they were going under 20 miles an hour. It wanted the, the auto make, the, reason, the way we got the auto industry to agree to support it was that they would get to create the sound which we're fine with. We're okay with them creating the sound. We'd like them to do testing and things like that with blind people and saying, is this like this? Um, do you think this works and things like that? But, uh, it has taken them years to do this. Toyota has created a sound for their vehicles. It's installed in every one of their vehicles, but because the regulations haven't been all mapped out yet, and this is all, again, just the legislature and Republicans and Democrats fighting over who's right and who's wrong. Um, they haven't, um, enabled that sound. So, um, it's installed on every Toyota Prius or anything (laughs) like that. It's just not enabled. It's amazing. So, yeah. yeah.
0: Um, what about, I'm just gonna, I'm trying to think. I had a thought and it just totally escaped me. Um, so here's one of my favorite questions that we used to ask students when we were, um, in discussion. Um, which is ten million dollars or your site. Which would you pick?
1: Ten million dollars or my site.
0: Yeah.
1: Oh, I'd probably take the money. Really? Okay. I could do a lot more with the money than I can with the site. Um, I could start my own training center that's private and I wouldn't have to worry about bureaucratic nonsense and I could do it the way I wanted to do it with ten million dollars. That would be I could invest a, a really nice chunk of that and start a fabulous training center that and run it the way I want without worrying about bureaucracy. So yeah, that, that kind of stuff excites me a whole lot more than just getting my site back. Mm. I remember what it was like to see it. And it was a nice thing. And, uh, but I've learned how to live without it. Um, now, okay, here's the question I remember a lot of blind people getting, and I've heard this before now, if they have an operation and you can get your site back, will you do it? Well, sure. If I can afford it and, in uh, it, in it, I know it works. Why wouldn't I take that chance and, and, and get my sight back and take that opportunity? Well, sure, but it's not something I think about or I even worry about. Um, if it happens, it happens great. If it doesn't, I know I can live just fine, and, I, and I'm very happy with the way I'm living.
0: Um, and now I remember my other question, okay. which is the, the driver, the blind driver challenge.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, so explain to people what the blind driver in Daytona... and So the blind driver what challenge...
1: Basically, the NFB had um, set up a challenge with uh, four different uh, local, not local, but um, colleges in the United States. They were um, technical institutes and, and wanted to come up with, which, which, see which one could come up with a vehicle where a blind person could drive independently um, and not just where, how the Google car is, where you basically just put in your coordinates and the Google car does all the work. Blind people wanted some control of the car like a sighted person does. So that came about Virginia Tech um, and Stanford and a couple other schools were the ones, MIT were the ones all working on this and it turned out Virginia Tech came up with a model where basically you have these, these um, gloves on the steering wheel that uh, the blind person puts their hands into and they make vibrations, um, there's sensors on all the outside of the car and the um, sensors will tell the blind person when to turn right or left by vibrating on the right hand glove and that means you need to turn right or vibrating on the left hand glove and that means turn left and there are also other vibrations coming into the seat so like you might know when like you need to stop or um uh, other things like that I, i never actually got to do it but um, that's my understanding of it and reading about it and that's how it worked and Virginia Tech had come up with this and it wasn't so blind people would be able to drive that was not the goal of it the goal of it was to get people thinking about the technology that exists and what could be coming out there so blind people could find ways to blend it because we already know that blind people are going to be driving cars um, at some point and I wouldn't be surprised if it's in the next five years Um, don't quote me on that, but I think I wouldn't be surprised because this Google car and, and the other vehicles, the other auto, they're all coming out with cars that a blind person will be able to just jump in, put in the coordinates and it will just take them there. And, uh, and, and the legislature, um, nationally, they seem to be open to this because they see it as a, as a benefit to safety, um, because they believe Sighted drivers are problematic just as much as a blind driver might be. Um, and they, they have problems with the road, and they, they want to create safety, and so they believe um, cars that drive themselves will be more safer.
0: And you, and, and the NFPs hope and the NFPs reason for doing the Blind Driver Challenge was that so they had a way of, of saying, hey, we, on, we we want in on this too.
1: Yeah, it was that. And also think about other types of technology out there. What about riding a bike? What about um, doing a, the hover boards that are all the rage now? Or um, anything else out there that, that people use to get around? That's what, Or even transferring it to indoor navigation and, and things like that. That's what the NFB was trying to get um, these, was, was hoping would accomplish by getting this blind driver challenge going. It was basically to start getting technical uh, colleges to thinking out of the box and engineers and people like that are really smart out there to start thinking of really ways things can be different using technology for blind people
0: that's awesome yeah 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 i that is really cool because sometimes people will hear about different universities doing different things that they think will help blind people and it's like you know to show a blind person how to get around their kitchen and you're like well i get around my kitchen all the time exactly
1: exactly (laughs)
0: yeah um so i have a couple more questions okay what is blindness to you
1: that's a really tough one because i i don't really know um i don't think of it as darkness i don't think of it as um Anything that um, has been out there expressed, um, I just think of it as, uh, to me, blindness is a, a disability that that is visible to sighted people because I don't see what they see. So that's probably what I how I define blindness. I don't. I I never liked the whole thing. Y- you live in the dark, don't you? Because I don't live in the dark. I don't see anything right now, but. But I remember what darkness looked like, and darkness doesn't look like what I see now. Um, I have a lot of flashing lights in front of my eyes all the time. A lot of... Um, it kind of looks like the old strobe lights in the discos and, and nightclubs, That if you've ever seen that, or even a horror movie. Um, I, I Sometimes I see colors that will blend in, because um, I remember what colors look like. But it never makes out anything that... Um, that would help me see, um, it's just something I see all the time. So, but
0: is it, is it a tragedy? Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? No, it's not a
1: tragedy. It can be a tragedy if you allow it to be. Um, as it, it's not a, neither a good thing nor a bad thing. It's just a thing. Um, it's, but if you allow it to be a tragedy, in other words, you don't get training, you don't, um, figure out ways to cope and uh, learn how to adapt then yeah, you're going to be miserable, um, and you're going to think the world is against you, and you're going to hate the world, and you're just going to be kind of a sour person. Um, you won't have the opportunities to live the kind of life you really want to live um, if if you don't take advantage of training and and learning what's what's you're capable
0: of. Yeah. And what is the most? Or what is the most important? Or what are some of the most important lessons that you? have learned that you'd want to pass on to somebody else
1: um don't expect people to do things for you and because the moment you start expecting that all the time you lose your desire or um ability to continue to do that um an example person goes blind they have a sighted spouse it is natural for the blind person to start allowing the sighted person to do more things for them um and that becomes more of the norm and other so now the sighted person sighted spouse thinks that they are they have to do this for the blind person because they've done it a few times and they continue it um the biggest thing I could tell for family members and spouses and, and and dealing with blindness is have a good give and take surprise the heck out of your family by getting up at the buffet table and going and trying to find it. Um, and, or, or just all of a sudden start clearing the table before they get a chance to do it. Um, or have dinner ready when your spouse gets home just to surprise them and things like that. Because you have to do things like that to keep that equality, um, between the, the, the couple or the family members, even, you know, a mother and daughter and a son or or father or whatever. Um, you have to do things like that. That's one of the biggest things that I, I would say needs to be done because I, I see it too many times where a blind person just allows the sighted person to start doing more things for them. And then they, they never go back to the way it was.
0: Mm. Yeah. Well, thank you. Good. Anything else you wanted to add?
1: No, I think we've said it all. Come (laughs) to our convention. (laughs) Oh, tell people when that is. Our convention is May 5th through the 7th in uh, Provo, Utah. It's the National Federation of the Blind of Utah's um, annual state convention. We will have some great guest speakers, including um, Amy Burrish from the state of Nebraska. Um, We'll have uh, Dr. Eddie Bell from the state of Louisiana. We'll have um, representatives (laughs) from Humanware with some brand new technology Um, vanda pharmaceuticals with non-24 medications that might be helpful so all kinds of neat things so please come to our convention Um, you can find more about it at www.nfbutah.org thank
0: you awesome well it's been so fun to interview you thanks. thanks thank you for joining us on ability stories please review this podcast in itunes To comment on this episode, please go to abilitystories.podbean.com. If you have any show ideas or would like to be a guest on Ability Stories, send an email to abilitystories at gmail.com. And thanks for listening.